This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. Well, what a difference a few early goals makes. Two games where Manchester City were quickly out of the blocks and not too many issues in getting two wins on the board as well. We'll be looking back over the victories against Bournemouth and Bristol City on this week's Blue Moon podcast. Also on the show, we'll be looking at Phil Foden. He's become the fourth youngest player to pass 200 appearances for the club. So we'll hear from the three players who did it quicker than him. But we'll also focus on how his return to fitness has helped City look a little bit more like their old selves again. Alex Hurst from the Newcastle podcast True Faith will join us later as well as we look ahead to the game at the Etihad this weekend too. I'm David Mooney. I am joined by City fan and journalist Dan Burke. Hello, David. And from StatCity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. So, uh, yeah, two ways. I mean, Adam, first off, um, two fairly comfortable wins this week. It's been, it, it makes a change, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you could handpick two fixtures to kind of like get us back up and running, it'd probably be these type of fixtures. Southern-based teams wearing red, Phil Foden in his green luminous strip, tearing him apart on, in the southern throes of the country. Perfect. Yeah, Dan. Uh, how much <laughs> of it? How, how much of this? Um, this kind of this week then has been uh, basically framed around the fact that City have, have got on the score sheet early and, and really made the dominance pay because it like it, it's the, I, I guess it's the difference between us going into games going oh god they're they're creating chances but they're missing them and actually relaxing a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, the first goal is is always important. It's an obvious thing to say, but it's uh, it's usually the case with City if they if they go a goal up, they tend to to take control of the game and and see it out and get the win. Um, that's been the case under under Pep Guardiola over the years, uh, more often than not. And you know, even thinking back to the the Spurs away game a few weeks ago, you know that that game is remembered now as a as a really bad day at the office for City, a really bad performance, and it was overall. But I remember the first sort of 10, 15 minutes of that game thinking, oh, we're, we're looking good here. We're in control of the game. Then Spurs score a goal against the run of play and suddenly the task changes dramatically. City can't get themselves back into it. Um, and that's often been a problem as well that, you know, oppositions have, have scored against us with their first chance of the game and, and we've not been able to find an answer for it. And it's become a bit of a problem um, recently, whereby the second goal has, has uh, eluded City, um, mm-hmm. evaded City, and th- they've struggled to, uh, you know, see it, see the game out like they did against Nottingham Forest the other week. I don't know if um, when Pep was calling City the Happy Flowers team a few weeks ago, if this is exactly what he meant. But you kind of felt in that, that Nottingham Forest game that they were just kind of thinking, "Oh, you know, we'll score the second goal in a minute. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. We're missing chances. It'll come. It'll come." Mm-hmm. It never came. Nottingham Forest equalised, and, and we wasted two points there. And I was a little bit worried against Bristol City at one 0 when we weren't getting that second goal. That maybe they were going to come back into it. They weren't really knocking on the door that much, but you just never know, really. Um, and thankfully, we did get that second and third goal and, and, and killed the game off then. And, you know, I don't think City can expect to steamroll teams and be out of sight before half time. Every, every match presents different challenges, but it's nice to see them getting those goals this week and getting the job done. Yeah, I mean, I, when you think of Guardiola teams of the past, Adam, um, I I always think about starting really quickly. I like I, I don't know if I, I don't know. I mean, you're the stats guy, not me, but I, <laughs> I I might be wrong on this. But it feels like certainly that seventeen eighteen Centurion season and the eighteen nineteen kind of the ninety eight points season. It felt like City asserted their dominance by getting games won early, and that's something yeah. they've not done recently. Correct. It's been almost alien to us at the moment because. Of, of Guardiola teams in the past, 
like you say, we've, we've put the game to bed early and I hate to sound like an absolute spoiled child, but sometimes, certainly at the Etihad, it's been like we've been 4-0 up at half-time or just after half-time and the second half has been somewhat, somewhat of a damp squib because the game's done and dusted. So it's weird that we've not been able to manage games out under Pep more recently than we have in the past. And I think it's safe to say that most of us know what kind of City performance we're going to get after the first five, ten minutes of a game. And you can really see whether we're at it or not. So it's been good that we've had these last two games and these last two early goals, I should say, uh, to really kind of put us you know, on the front foot from, from early on. And that makes a good point around whilst it was 1-0 against um, Bristol City, um, it was a little bit nervy or certainly you were wondering whether they could come back into it. But then for the first time in what seems a while, we did go on to get that second goal in, in a later period of the game and it still didn't cause us too much problems. But I think we've said it for a while, certainly on this podcast, that you you know what kind of game we're going to have after five minutes, whether we're t- the cogs are, t- are turning and the, the passes are, are reaching each other because sometimes even five-yard passes haven't been uh, recently finding the, the feet of the correct target. So I think... Obviously, scoring early sets us off perfectly and it does hark But I tweeted as soon as Foden put it in. I was like, that's a 2017-18 goal, that. Just dominant from the off, back back post, five, uh, side foot in. Yeah. Across, across the face of the goal, that, exactly. that, that pass. Exactly, yeah. yeah, perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's funny though, because Dan, you said about how important the second goal is and I, I, I get it, but it just doesn't... I mean, maybe it's the fact that it's really clumsy language and you can't come up with a phrase that's that's that easy about it because I mean, everyone goes, oh, well, the first goal's important and it makes sense, but you can't go, well, the second goal's really important, but as long as you've got the first <laughs> one, like, it just doesn't... Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't really, like, doesn't go off the tongue as easy, but it is, it, like, it is. It's making sure that City go get that second one and make sure that, um, like as they did against Bournemouth, there is just no opportunity for the opposition to have their one shot on target, one goal situation. Yeah, well, 2 nil is supposed to be the most dangerous scoreline in football, isn't it? But it's it's been one nil with City recently. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're seeing City getting getting back to back to the confidence really. And, you know, the Nottingham Forest result really is a bit of an outlier in recent weeks. They've been in really good form, you know, mm. since the Arsenal victory. Um, if we if we had gone and got the second goal against Forest and won that game, you'd be looking at a really good run of results. The Leipzig game aside, you know that's another good, good example of where City went one one up earlier the game. You know you think uh, you know we can we can really probably finish this tie off here if we play our cards right and you know end up drifting a little bit and concede that equaliser. And now it uh, it leaves the tie wide open in the second leg. So. Yeah, I just hope that they are kind of learning the lessons from um, these slip-ups in recent weeks and we'll just try and try and get the job done. But, you know, we're going to come on to it later, obviously, but the game this weekend presents a, a different challenge because I don't think many teams in the league are capable of scoring multiple multiple goals against Newcastle with the exception of City this season, really. Yeah. Um, well, let's look at how City have asserted the dominance this week and we'll start with Phil Foden. Um, because, Adam, how much does he improve City's performance when he's in the team? Yeah, he's just a, a joy to watch when he's in this form. He's more direct than I think any of our other attacking players when he wants to be. It's almost as if the shackles have been released. I don't know whether that's intentional or whether that's just what Phil Foden brings. I must admit, in his form after the World Cup and his period out of the side, I wasn't missing him too much and harking for him to come on, which is I'm obviously... I've been proved wrong recently that he is that I, I was like this is going to sound really dramatic but I was like is he a flash in the pan was he a 
Oh come on! Actually, I know. S- sell him. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Rubbish. New Delhi Alley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I heard that because I put it in our group chat, didn't I? I heard that. So yeah. Okay. Let, let's say I've been influenced by outside sources there because I was walking <laughs> to the game just after the World Cup, and someone said, um, "Is he the new Delhi Alley in that flash in the pan?" Uh, young star but like burnt out almost and so yeah I, I wouldn't put myself that on the scale of that comment but certainly I was wonder- I was just the doubt was creeping in and that's horrendous to say looking how easily he's made it look in the last two games yes it was lower opposition but you can only beat what's in front of you as the cliche goes and his directness is just a breath of fresh air to what we've seen of this controlled attempt at controlling football going backwards going backwards and he was really directing the two games more so against Bristol I think than Bournemouth um and I don't want to discredit him by the level of the opposition but yeah I was I was I was I'm embarrassed to say that there were certain doubts creeping in of just what is his ceiling <laughs> and then he's just almost reinvented himself in two games and um I can only slap myself on the wrist for even letting those thoughts creep in but I'll play external a, factors. Yeah, I was about to say I think we, I think we should have the slap on the wrist live on the podcast now <laughs> so that we can hear it just just to make sure that that everybody knows that you have given yourself yeah. up. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll save this clip for the amnesty episode at the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um Dan that he has played two different roles this week. Um he was on the mm. left against Bristol City on the right against Bournemouth. Um and it, it's kind of interesting that you don't really notice kind of which side he's on, if that makes sense. He still has the same sort of impact on games, doesn't he? I don't know about that, actually. I mean, I, I prefer him on the left. I think he adds a bit of spontaneity um, that you don't get with most players in the team. You know, a bit of pace, the ability to beat a man. You know, I, don't, I think he's probably the only player in City's team who, who really does that consistently. I think it suits him much better to play to play wide and stretch the pitch on his, on his stronger foot. He can play on the right, as he showed against Bournemouth. I did think before his goal in that game that he was... He was sort of playing keep ball, playing that kind of Riyad Mahrez kind of pause role mm. where he's he's coming back and 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 recycling possession, and he can do that. But it just it seems to um, constrain him a little bit. It doesn't seem to allow him to express himself in the way that we would like. This is a bit of a stupid thing to say, but it's a bit like. Um, do you know when you see Steve Coogan playing like a serious dramatic role? It's like I know you can do this, Steve, but I'm just I'm just seeing Alan Partridge, and I know you want to be Alan Partridge, and it's just that's what that's what Foden is like for me playing on the on the on the le- on the right. But you know if if Grealish plays and Grealish has been doing brilliant things for City recently, then then Foden kind of has to play on the right because. Um, you know, Grealish can only really play on the left, and I think Foden can can get better in in that role on the right. I think he can he can get better at coming in from the right flank and really driving with the ball at the, at the center of the opposition defense. Um, that's something I'd like to see a bit more from him. But either side, I'm, I'm happy with him, him in, the, in the team, and it's great to see him back in form. God, I hope to God that he doesn't listen to this, though. I mean, Adam's called him crap, and you've compared him to Alan yeah. Partridge. It's like yeah, yeah. It's, he's uh, <laughs> he's, he's going to be at home, not a happy bunny here, isn't he? It's, uh, it's for, for someone who's had such a good week as well. Um, I, I mean, Adam, it does it does give City options though for the for the front three because um, when you think about uh, about the form of the players at the front three at the moment, you know, Mares is is having a good post World Cup season. Mm. Grealish, we've talked about a lot recently because of of the the level of season he's having so far um, yeah. and Foden coming back into form and you think about just the, the little subtle change that you can get with the with with the different players there you can have both inverted with uh, Grealish or, or Foden um, yeah. or Grealish and Mares. you can have Mares inverted on one side and Foden wide on on the other and like when Foden plays wide right as well like he often he's often a lot wider than Mares is as well so it, like just it's very little subtle tweaks that yeah. you can get to the front three there 
Yeah, can we can we not have all of them and put Foden in the middle? <laughs> oh, yeah, so you're dropping Haaland now, are you? <laughs> no, well, we'll have all four. But I think he's obviously more direct than the other two. But I'm, I'm wondering now, as, as you've made that point, how much Foden's perceived decline, and I was one of them, obviously, and I'm, I'm going to die by that sword now, I'm to down that sword. We're, ne- we're never going to let you forget it. It's fine. <laughs> I won't, to be honest. <laughs> I deserve it. Um, how much was the, the form of Grealish and Mahrez... How much was it them two keeping Foden out of the team versus his his form keeping him out of the team? I remember he had a pretty quiet first half against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Mares and Grealish came on at half time or just after around half time and and set up the goal for the one 0 win over there, but assisted and scored it. So how much of this Foden downturn that has made me look a laughing stock at now was down to what them two did versus what he didn't do? But I think what he gives differently is that directness, and I think. It's obvious that Grealish is petrified of giving the ball away under Pep, so he always comes back. And Pep's mentioned how he likes Grealish to come back to kind of preserve that control and drag their wing backs further down the pitch, and then we can uh, um, exploit the space. So it's it's intentionally coached into Mares and Grealish to be those controllers and to be those almost wide wide base conductors. Whereas I think Foden's got a bit more of a free spirit. I don't know whether that's intentional. Then Pep's just said, you know, go and win us the game because you, you're more than capable or whether he's just doing it anyway because he knows that's what kind of the City fans are wanting. We don't care about the control of the game as much as Pep does because control of the game isn't going to get us the sack. So I can see why Pep wants control of these games. But ultimately, we're, in the enterta- we're there for the entertainment. And I know there's been some murmurings about control versus entertainment, but I think, I don't know whether... Foden, that's what Foden does differently. I don't think he, because he's so raw and natural, I don't think he will be constrained by this, pass it backwards, be controlling the game. I think he just wants to run at players and it's a joy for us to see as, as the paying customer at the end of the day. Yeah, so uh, Phil Foden's crap. Are we getting Pep out sacked abroad from you, Adam, as well? Is that, is that what you're, uh, is, that, is that your position? And, and Haaland, drop Haaland as well. That's what yeah. you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah, drop, drop Haaland. Right. Yeah. Yeah. These clips out of context make me sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Context is everything, in you? and uh, I'm yeah. going to make sure you get absolutely none of it in there. Um, Dan, I'll, I'll have a listen to this. This is uh, Phil Foden speaking to uh, ITV after the game uh, with uh, Bristol City. Yeah, I feel much better on my feet. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy sometimes when you play with um, discomfort in your feet. So um, I'm feeling 100% fit now and, and comfortable. So, yeah, hopefully I can just come back into the team and, and help them as much as possible. Has it been frustrating? Yeah, definitely. It's been one of my lowest parts of my career, but um, you know, everyone goes through them and it's how you react. That tough, one of the lowest parts of your career, in what sense? Um, you know, just discomfort in my feet, not playing as much. Um, you know, I love to play football and when I don't, I'm a bit frustrated. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Dan, it's interesting to hear him talk like that because uh, ultimately he's been out of the team for a few weeks and he's and he's had an injury. That's that's kind of what it boils down to. But the fact that it, it's kind of got on top of him to the point where he said it, it feels like one of the worst parts of his career, I think it's quite quite interesting about the pressure that he feels he might be under. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I watched that interview on ITV the other night. And I, I wasn't sure at first when he was talking about discomfort in his feet if he meant that literally, like he's you know his feet have been hurting, or if it was some sort of like metaphysical thing, like he he wasn't feeling comfortable in his own skin. Maybe it's both. I don't I don't know really, but he, he seems to be getting better at expressing himself verbally. He seems like he had something he wanted to say in that interview, which wasn't always the case with Foden. He he would he would usually just sort of like you know just give the the media trained answers really, and. Um, 
I mean, in, in stark contrast to Adam, I think his blip, his his downturn in form, whatever you want to call it, has been has been a bit overplayed, really, and probably speaks more to what an outrageously good player he is and has been for City over the years. That a small blip in form like this for a few weeks seems like such a crisis and seems yeah. like such a problem. You know, I think I think dips in form are perfectly normal, especially for young players. Um, it's the first one he's had in his career, and if this is the worst point of his career, then he's had a bloody good career, hasn't he? Because you know, it's, it's, it's going yeah. all right, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and also if he has been injured, if he has been feeling actual discomfort in his feet, then like it's more than understandable that he's not been he's not been playing well. He's not been, he's not been looking himself. So, you know, I think he's the best academy product City have ever produced. I think without doubt he's going to go on to be one of England's all time great players. And um, I hope that he can play a big part for City in what's left of the season now that he's got his his confidence back. Yeah, I mean the the other side of this, Adam, as well is um, like after that interview, uh, Guardiola was asked about his comments uh, about pain in his feet. Uh, this is what Guardiola said in the post-match press conference. The impact on Phil since arrived has been flabbergasted. Um, can you can you decode that for me? <laughs> Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola's flabbergasting blues. Yeah, I'll yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I've clipped this a little bit out because like. I'm not convinced he says flabbergasting. Flabbergastic. He's mixing. He's mixing up flabbergasting and, and fantastic. Um, fantastic. Yeah. Just, I mean, flabbergastic. It's it's one of those. It's it's a it's a Pep Guardiolaism that. That that's even better on a flag now. Uh, get that label <laughs> stickered everywhere. I'll commission it. He's yeah. revolutionised football, and now he's revolutionising the English language as well. Yeah. Is there anything he can't do? You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Right, well, um, as we've mentioned, Foden had a huge impact uh, this week. When he took to the pitch for the game with Bournemouth, it was the 200th time he'd done it for City. Five years and three months after his debut against Feyenoord with 55 goals and 39 assists along the way, he's become the fourth youngest player to notch up two centuries of appearances in a blue shirt. Sam Roscoe's taking a look at the only three players who did it younger than him. City's youngest player to 200 appearances is a club legend. In them days, I think it's totally different than today. I mean, today they don't do anything. I mean, in them days, uh, well, you were just just a junior. That was it, junior. You had to do everything everybody told you. You cleaned the boots, you cleaned the dressing rooms, the pros would come up to you and send you to the shop and things like that. And you had to do it. Today, I don't think it's the same. It's, I think it was a totally different era. But it was great. I mean, what an education. That's the late Glyn Pardo talking to the podcast back in 2009 about breaking through into City's first team. He made his debut in a 4-1 defeat to Birmingham at Main Road in 1962. Just over four years later, his 200th appearance came at Filbert Street, where City lost 3-0 to Leicester. I was 15, I was dead lucky really, I mean, I was brought up like reserves, I played with Colin Barlow, George Allen, me, Joe Hayes and Ray Sambrook, I think they were all in the 30s and I was 15, but that's again, that's changed, because I, I was brought up with ex-players like that, that were finishing their careers, all internationals, and which was great, I mean, I was so lucky really, I mean, I must have got an inability, I suppose, in one way, but uh, even then I was... I was just only treated as a junior. I mean, I play with him on a Wednesday, 
you know, be all mates on this on this Thursday morning. They kicked me backside if I hadn't done something. So we, you know, that was different as well. But it was fabulous. In those first 200 appearances, Pardo won the Division One title in 1968. And as his career continued, he'd also go on to win the Charity Shield, the FA Cup, the League Cup, and the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup with City. The one that must stand out really is the FA Cup. Because in them days it was it was glamorous, wasn't it? It's not not like today. It's, it's not as as changed as well. I'm sad to say, you know, they don't seem to be as interested today. But I think the greatest achievement is the league, because you play so many games. The cup it's only about six or seven games. He scored the winning goal in the in the 1970 League Cup final. Um, can you remember it at all? Do you still oh, remember it now? Oh yeah, I can remember it now. Yeah, I think Freddie went down the right. He flicked it across. Belly flicked it on with his head, and I beat the keeper in the centre half to it. Flicked it in the net. Oh, you remember things like that? Yeah, it's fantastic. We had a great time, and we had a great team. I mean, midweek we played in Portugal, if you remember, and it was about 75 degrees. The pitch was like concrete. Remember the Saturday it was like a cabbage patch. So. I mean, great to the skill to the lads from playing from one, you know, in four days from one way to the other. It was fantastic. Pardo's career was ended by injury and he retired in 1976 to take up a position on the coaching staff. Ten years on, he took charge of City's FA Cup youth winning team, a team that combined youngster Steve Redmond. Redmond is the second youngest player to reach 200 appearances for the first team. He was about 12 weeks older than Pardo, aged 22 and 165 days. Here's his memories of starting his career in an interview with the Welsh Premier League side, the New Saints, where his son now plays. That's City, I was a uh, school boy at the age of 14, 17 and signed pro, um, 18 made my debut, um, very lucky. Um, I could have had a couple of clubs, could have gone to Liverpool, Everton, uh, obviously my local clubs, but uh, at the time Man City were more youthful, like the Tommy Cain was getting the game at the time. Uh, so that's why I chose Man City and that's things and never look back really. Redmond won no major honours with City in his 287 games. However, the next player on the list, the third youngest to 200 appearances, was a key part of the club's success in the 60s and 70s. I was born within half a mile of the stadium. I could see it from the bedroom window, so naturally it was going to be City. And to think that one day you'd actually play there, I mean, that's, that's like a dream come true, isn't it? That's right, every boy's dream. I mean, every boy who supports a club wants to play for that club. And luckily, I was there for 11 years. That's Neil Young, speaking about his career in an interview with Sky Sports in the year 2000. I played in the schools, uh, then I played for Manchester Boys, under, under 14s, and then luckily a scout must have seen me and said, would you like to come for trials? And progressed from there. Yeah. Young scored the winner in the 1969 FA Cup final and then the opener in the Cup Winners' Cup final the following season. Both of those were years after his 200th appearance at the club when he was aged 22 and 261 days. That beats Foden, who's in fourth place on the list by just 12 days. Here, Young tells a story about how legendary goalkeeper Bert Troutman helped him on his debut. The very first game I played for City, I borrowed one of Bert's boots, his pair of boots. Really? Yeah. Why was that? You, well, you... It, it was funny, I used to watch, used to get these boots sent over from Germany. They were like slippers, honestly. And I, I, I said to him one day, Mr. it was Mr. Troutman, it wasn't Bert Troutman in those days, it was like Mr. Troutman, because I was a young lad. I was like, just got onto the scene, my first game. Mr. Trotman, can I have a little chat with you, please? And he was like, Bert, 
can I please uh, buy a pair of your boots? Yeah, certainly, so you, you give them me. And I must have had those for about three years. Over an 11-year career at City, Young was crucial to the success of the club, enjoyed under the stewardship of Joe Mercer and Malcolm Allison. He played more than 250 times alongside Glimpardo, and nearly 400 times with Alan Oakes, who is the fifth quickest to the double century behind Phil Foden. Those five players are also the only ones to make it to 200 games for City before their 23rd birthday. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast and carry on doing so. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Sam Roscoe taking a look at the three players who made it to 200 City appearances younger than Phil Foden. Um, Adam, you you kind of you helped me with that with uh, collating the numbers for this. Um, what does it say about Foden's achievement that he's that that basically that he's done it in this City team because this is one of the best City teams ever. Yeah, you you don't get a free pass to play in this team, not just because you're an academy product. In years gone by, that might have been the case where you got a bit more credit in the bank because you were one of us. But Pep doesn't, you know, rest on loyalties or, you know, um, you know, please people pleasing. So the fact that he's forced his way into this team, a title winning team at that age, and is amongst the best. And this isn't me just crawling back into my Foden's amazing trying to win win it. He literally for him to do that is such an achievement. He's recently just reached 10 FA Cup goals at the youngest ever for City as well. So he's even performing, uh, you know, across all competitions at the highest level. And just what an achievement to say someone from about four miles away from the stadium is actually, is a pivotal part of it. Is he, He's not there just because he lives four miles away and because we all love him. He's there because he deserves to be there. And he's learnt from people like David Silva, Aguero, De Bruyne, and what a, what a treasure and what, you know, I think his record will be there for a while because it's rare that you have someone so influential at such a young age in such a big team as well. It's not like we're scrapping for players unless he, unless he's playing left back. Uh, then I'd say yeah. he's a shoe in there. But other than that, he's forced his way into a midfield that's been one of the best midfields in the last five, ten years. So what a credit. And he's definitely not there just because of his name or his postcode. Yeah, Dan, I'm wondering if it'll if it'll be a record that is ever beaten now because mm. for 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 you to be that young, you kind of have to be an academy graduate, and it just doesn't happen at City in the way that it happens with with Foden. Like, well, I don't think we'll see it with with a player like Foden again. For I mean, maybe not even in our lifetimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, possibly not. Yeah, I mean, you you look at sort of Cole Palmer coming through and uh, and James McAtee and stuff, and I, I just don't think they are on the level of Foden that he was when he came through. That and and are, are going to progress in that way. That the, the very good players, and I'm sure we'll have plenty more good players come through our academy. But um, yeah, like I said, I, th- I think Foden's the best the best one we've ever produced and possibly ever will produce. And uh, the, the stat that really caught my eye about him this week. Um, in, in his 200 games, City won 151 of those games. I guess it's now 152 in 201 games. Um, I mean, that just shows you how important he's been to City over that time. He's been right there. Obviously, he hasn't won mm-hmm. those games himself, he's, but he's been part of this this generation under Guardiola. He's been, he's been right there, and you know, I hope he I hope he stays his, his entire career at City and and keeps uh, keeps winning games at, at, at that rate. Yeah. Well, there's uh, there's only one thing to do now. Oh. Quiz on Phil Foden's 200 games 
for City. Now, Dan's absolutely blown my tie-break question out of the water because that was uh, how many of his first 200 matches did Phil Foden win at City, nearest wins. So uh, if it's a if it's a tie-break now, it's an absolute, It's got to be a draw. Um, I should Adam, get a point for that straight off the bat, I would well, say. Well, I'm going to say, uh, like Adam, I'm sorry about this, but um, Dan, because of that, I'm going to let you choose whether you'd like to go first or second. <laughs> All right, I'll go second in that case then. Okay, Adam, your first question's one to six. Pick a number. One. Question number one. Who were the opposition for Phil Foden's only red card at City? Oh, it was Europe, but I've not got a clue. Can I have half a point for it being in Europe? What, the band? <laughs> <laughs> the final countdown. It was definitely it was definitely Champions League and it was a stupid second yellow. That's all I can tell you. But pass. No, I need a team. Well, you may as well have a guess at a team. Um, someone like Shakhtar Donetsk. You would think so, given the number of times they play him. But it yes. Wasn't. No, it was... Uh, Dan, do you know? Can't, not going not gonna to offer nope. it, but no. Uh, it was Atalanta. No idea. There we go. Uh, yeah, so, uh, still nil-nil. Dan, over to you. Uh, six. Question number six. Okay. Against which team did Phil Foden score his first goal at the Etihad? Oh, Newcastle. No. no. Uh, um, Adam, do you remember? Rotherham FA Cup. It was Rotherham FA Cup. Came off his knee. Absolutely no points for it, though, so it stays Uh, nil-nil. Over (laughs) to you, Adam. Two, three, four or five to go. Number number two. Number two. Against which team did Phil Foden make his first appearance for City at Wembley? Ooh. Uh, Was it... I don't know why I'm going to say Chelsea in the League Cup final. Uh, Funnily enough, he didn't even play in that game. Um, Well... (laughs) But he did appear in the Arsenal uh, League Cup final the year before. Uh, so he'd only, yeah, he'd only played about mm. 10 games or so at that point, and he, uh, and he gets an appearance mm. in the League Cup final. So, uh, yeah, swing and a miss. Over to you, Dan. <laughs> uh, four. Question number four. In which competition did Phil Foden make his first start for City? Carabao Cup. Uh, no, you'd think so, but it was actually the Champions League. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bloody yep. hell, yeah. Yeah, um, those were the days. That's so. Uh, uh, Nil-nil going into the final round of questions. You're excelling yourselves again, boys. Uh, three or five available to you, Adam? Three. I've had one, two and three. Third okay. time, lucky. Question number three. The Premier League was the final competition that Phil Foden scored in for City. Against which team did he score that first league goal? The Tottenham header. It was the Tottenham header. Yes. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. That was one his nil. first goal? Wow. That was his, that was his uh, first Premier League goal. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Dan, that leaves you with question number five. Rather rather nice one to finish. Obviously, no tie-break if you get it right, so think about your actions here. Um, <laughs> what is the name of Phil Foden's dog? <laughs> John Stone? No, that's Bernardo Silva's way. It's Carabao, Carabao. It is Carabao. I'm going to let you have it. Yeah. Yeah, John Stones is Bernardo Silva's dog, but it is uh, but it's Carabao yeah. who is uh, who is Phil Foden's yeah. dog. Uh, I know that's technically not about his first 200 appearances, but you know I was I was really struggling for questions by this point. So there we go. Finishes one one. Congratulations, boys. Nobody wins. A share of the spoils, whatever that means. Yeah. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. Right, let's uh, let's round up uh, the rest of the week then with uh, a few of the other talking points. Um, Dan, we'll start with Calvin Phillips because um, a lot's been there's been a little bit of a focus on him uh, this week. Um, what what do you make of how it's gone for him? Bournemouth, I thought he struggled a little bit against Bournemouth, but then Bristol City after kind of a bit of a crazy first three minutes or so, um, after he hit the bar, everything seemed to go all right. 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't been overly impressed with him, really. He looks understandably rusty. You know, he's not played very much football at all this season and didn't play an awful lot last season either. Um, you know, he hit the bar against Bristol City. He, he played some nice passes. He, he doesn't own the midfield in the way that Rodri does, and I'm, I'm not convinced that he can do that job that Rodri does, that he can ever truly offer what Rodri can. But then how many players in world football can do what Rodri can do? You know, he's arguably the best number six in the world, and it's it's a tough act to follow. So I think Phillips will probably thrive playing alongside Rodri in, a, in like a double pivot kind of scenario. But if he's ever going to get that opportunity, I don't know. I think we're going to have to be patient with him. Maybe he'll come good next season. Maybe he won't be here. We'll we'll just have to wait and see, really. Yeah, Adam. I mean, he's he's had a difficult start to life at City with injuries as well, and that's that's ultimately not going to help. When you think of of Rodri settling in, and it, like it's interesting, Dan says about like nobody, like not many players in world football can do what Rodri does. We said the same about Fernandinho, and what what Guardiola mm. did was kind of tweak the system and, true, yeah. and kind of make it right for Rodri instead. Yeah. Um, which I guess, like, you're not going to do for Calvin Phillips because because Rodri is your man. I, th- I think only ever if Rodri had like a six month injury would we build a, a midfield p- pattern around Phillips being at the base of it. My interestingly, my mate's a Leeds United season ticket holder, and he it, was in love with Phillips. Obviously, I think there's an element of local bias and home hometown boy and whatnot. Um, but and I was I was impressed with Phillips uh, for England in in some. Um, of his performances for England as well so he was he was the you know the first name on the team sheet with Rice in terms of that centre midfield pairing so I think Dan's right in a pair he may be a bit better and a bit more adept to you know mopping up and and working and doing some running for another player in the middle with him as the sole midfielder I don't think it's quite worked obviously we can't be too harsh because of the occasions he's, he's played for us it's been here and there but He's been caught on the ball a few times. He's spread some nice passes, but ultimately he's not Rodri. And I think that's what strikers who came after Aguero were guilty of not being Aguero. I think Phillips might mm. be a case of not being Rodri and that's what we, what the level he needs to be at to even be in the same conversation. So I think it's a case of, you know, a right person, wrong wrong time or wrong term, right, wrong time, right person. I can't even say it. That's how confusing it is. <laughs> uh, but you, you get the sentiment. I think he's probably not fitting the mould that we would need as a Rodri replacement. He's good in his own right, but Dan's absolutely spot on. I think he's even better with another player next to him. And every time I've seen him play well, he's had another similar player next to him. And I think a midfield two rather than one person holding it all together isn't his forte. Yeah. Um, Dan, in that hypothetical situation where Rodri is out for an extended amount of time, um, would you would would you be more inclined to have Gundogan at the base of the midfield rather than uh, rather than Phillips? I would like to give Phillips a go there, a run of games, um, because that's something else that he's he's not really going to get. You know, he he's been brought in as as a squad player really to to cover for Rodri if Rodri ever gets injured, and you know, touch wood that doesn't happen because I think he is probably City's most important player. Um, I, yeah, I would I would like to see Phillips get a run of games. I wouldn't I wouldn't be entirely confident that he would do that, especially not this season when he's still kind of finding his feet. Um, but yeah, the only way to find out is to put him there really and, and see what he can do. Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Adam, I'm going to, I mean, I appreciate the the possibility for you being crucified on this podcast after you feel (laughs) Felden for discussion. But um, I want to talk about Kevin De Bruyne. I know he's been ill lately, um, but have you had any general worries about De Bruyne's form? It's it's weird because he scored. (laughs) 
and yeah, has and been laying assisted. on assists. Yeah, pre-assists, yeah. But like the so, eye test says he's not been playing that well. <laughs> Correct. Well, I've, I've absolutely massacred my any semblance of reputation I had, so let's carry on. Um, again, he, De Bruyne probably falls into that category of, you know, trying to force it, giving the ball away too much, but it's only because he's the one who's evidently playing against this control philosophy that we seem to have where he will try those forward passes and if they in, if they get intercepted or De Bruyne is having a shocker again because he's giving it away or he's blasting 10 shots. There was one part in the Forest game recently where he blazed about three or four over and I was just like, come on, Kev, it's not your day. Like, knock it on the head, start, you know. But he kept forcing those passes. But I think... <laughs> Because he's the only one who's trying to be positive in such a controlled environment, he sticks out like a sore thumb. Obviously, yeah. he's got ab- abundance of credit in the bank, so I'm not. I'm absolutely not going to say is he a older version of Deli Alley. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> flashing the pan, he's burnt out. But I think <laughs> I think it's easy to say, or he should be allowed some excuse around the P- Belgian performance in the World Cup. Is there some sort of hangover from that? I think any anything we want to blame on the second half of the season, we can just say the World Cup because it was absolutely ridiculous having that halfway through a season. So I'm allowing that for, to go for everything. But I think I think because he's trying to force the issue, we, you notice his misplaced passes because everyone else is just passing backwards and safe. He's the one who kind of tries to drag us forward. And when he doesn't, it sticks out like a sore thumb. So I think it just looks a bit... Not a bit leggy because then he pops up with an outstanding goal and then he, he puts a key pass in for the second goal as well. So you'd take that as a day at the office all day long, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that De Bruyne gets the pass of the World Cup, but Foden doesn't. Funny that, Adam. I, uh, I don't, know, don't know what your, uh, what your <laughs> personal bias his, is there. Because yeah. of his postcode, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dan, it, 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 is, it is quite notable, I thought, against uh, Bristol City that... Um, he blazed a few over as if he got into good scoring positions and then tried to take the back of the net off. And then the second he just <laughs> placed it, he found the bottom corner. Yeah, I, I thought he was good against Bristol City. I thought he, he looked sharp. He looks like he's getting back to his best. Um, took the goal really, really well. It was sort of a, a vintage De Bruyne goal. I mean, the thing with Kevin is he, he frustrates me more than any other City player when he's not in form because we know what he's capable of and, and he's so crucial to how City play that, you know, when he's having a bad day at the office, it seems like everybody does. And if he's not in form, I'd, I'd just rather he, he was on the bench, really. I'd rather not try and play him into form because it just affects it affects everything so much. And um, Mike Mine from the BBC put a question out on, on Twitter earlier this week. I don't know if you saw it, where he was asking who is City's most important player at the moment and who could be City's most important player for the rest of the season. Now, the most important player at the moment is, is Rodri, I think, as I've just Said. And I'd say that the answer to the second question is De Bruyne. I think if he can find his form, if he can get back to the level that we know he's capable of, we could win the treble this season. If he can't, we'll probably win nothing. I think he's it's that he's that important to see. Yeah. Um, final bit for the first part of the show, Dan. Uh, Julian Alvarez, uh, two different roles this week. Um, against Bournemouth, you know, he was he was um, alongside uh, Haaland and kind of playing the De Bruyne-esque role. Um, against Bristol City, he was leading the line. How do you think he did? I thought he was better against Bournemouth um, alongside Haaland. I thought against Bristol City, he, he doesn't quite have that kind of penalty box presence at the moment you know he's still a he's still a young man he doesn't have that that big frame that you know I think that Bristol City game was probably more suited to Haaland really um you know there was balls going into the box that Haaland would have feasted on and Alvarez just wasn't quite getting to them and I, I would like to see them playing together a, uh, a bit more often because I thought against Bournemouth Alvarez was superb obviously scoring the two goals um maybe you know even against Newcastle this weekend I'd like to see them both playing together but then the question is who do you drop to accommodate that you know you want that extra man in midfield ideally um, you know, you'd, 
this is a bit of a, an Adam hot take, but you'd, I'd almost be tempted <laughs> to bench Harland against against uh, Newcastle and play Alvarez as the as the false nine. But that that sounds mad coming out of my mouth, really. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a tough one. And there's been I don't know if you've heard the rumours this week about Alvarez. I don't I don't think they're true, but there's a slight concern about some rumours coming from Spain that he's a bit unhappy about his playing time this season and, and thinking about leaving. And, and I think his exploits at the World Cup have like dramatically changed his status as a player. I think when City signed him, he was um, you know this development signing almost yeah. that was going to come in and learn from the players around him. The, the sort of football manager hot prospect for the future. Exactly, yeah. And now he's won the World Cup and plays so well at that tournament. Suddenly he's gone up in the world and he's, I think he was seventh on the list of the FIFA Best Award this week or something like that. Um, so I hope that he doesn't kind of get ideas above his station too quickly and think that he deserves to be playing week in, week out um, and just, just keeps his head down and keeps keeps learning from the players around him and, f- and from Guardiola. You know, maybe you should look at Ferran Torres as a bit of a cautionary tale there. Someone who, who felt they deserve more game time has gone to Barcelona and isn't really playing very much there either. Yeah, the uh, the hot takes on this podcast, by the way. Oh my but, God. But, but people are going to need asbestos <laughs> headphones to listen to yeah, this. Yeah, you're going to need a <laughs> disclaimer at the beginning of this, definitely. Yeah, temperature's gone right <laughs> through the roof. Um, Adam, just on uh, on Alvarez then. Um, I mean, as Dan says, he'd, he'd like to see him playing alongside Harland a little bit more. Um, every single one of Alvarez's uh, starts this season has come in, uh, in the Premier League anyway, where has come when De Bruyne hasn't played. Um that I, I, I guess it, it's kind of what you were speaking to before about the about the risks that De Bruyne takes. Guardiola doesn't like too many players who are going to take too many risks, and you probably don't have De Bruyne and Alvarez in the same team for that reason. Um, yeah, could could you? Oh, I'm scared of saying anything now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the two similar, not too similar in terms of when they're in the midfield, they're both trying to be the final link to the striker. If and I think that's why they don't play together because I think Alvarez has all is always seen looks better when he's the second striker behind Haaland. So I think to have De Bruyne in there as well, that I think you're only going to get that when we're one nil down with ten minutes to go in a game. He's he's never going to start a game with those three as a like almost a front forward triangle with De Bruyne, Haaland, and Alvarez. I think it'd be too congested. It'd be too many people trying to do the same job, and too many cooks spoiling the broth. There you go. Have that yeah. one. Um, <laughs> so let's look ahead then to uh, the Newcastle game. And uh, Dan, Newcastle calls City all sorts of problems in the reverse fixture. I, I, maybe both sides at this moment in time are not in the same sort of form as they were at the start of the season. I'm kind of getting the sense that City are getting back to that sort of level. It's been a good week for that. Yeah, I, I feel like like, like we're, in, we're in good form. We're, we're looking good. We're looking confident. And, you know, I watched Newcastle in the uh, Carabao Cup final last week and was was right behind them. I was an honorary Newcastle fan for the day, like a lot of City <laughs> fans were, I'm sure, and found them really frustrating to watch. I wasn't, wasn't impressed with them at all. Especially, I mean, this is probably tempting fate, but I didn't think Alan Sant-Maximan was very good at all. You know, oh, well, there he, we go, then. Kyle yeah. Walker on toast and, and really gave City the runaround in that game earlier in the season. But he was he was running down blind alleys, very wasteful with the ball against United last week. And you saw the way that they took the game to City at St. James's Park in that in that game. And I, I wonder if the nature of City's comeback has made them a little bit more cautious because you watch them a lot now and they've become a team who tend to try and kind of grind out results, waste time, you know, take it, take the game down to the gutter, watch the game against Arsenal when, again, I was very grateful for their performance that night, but I'm expecting a similar kind of approach to this game from them this this weekend. 
And I guess the Carabao Cup disappointment might kind of sharpen their minds now because top four still very much in their sights. They've got two games in hand on Spurs who, who aren't looking particularly brilliant. And, you know, playing City this weekend is a bit of a free hit for Newcastle as well. And that, that always worries me as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous about this game. I've got to be honest. Yeah, um, Adam, I was gonna, I was gonna flip it the other way because Newcastle have obviously just lost that League Cup final, and as Dan says, it, it might focus the minds, but equally, they, like it could just be the sort of defeat that's hard to recover from, and it's the sort of thing you only really know after the next game, and unfortunately, yeah. City's the next game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for that. My <laughs> first, first thought, but it was after I watched the League Cup final defeat against United, and it, obviously the look dejected you're going to be after a cup final defeat, but and I was thinking. I'm hoping that it's going to be the, you know, the struggle to like kind of recover from that rather than the wounded animal all come out all guns blazing. I think, obviously, we've now gone five points behind Arsenal uh, level on games. I've been desperate for those games to be level, so it's not like with the precursor of games in hand and whatnot. Mm. Um, so I think we've got more. In, there's more impetus always on us for, to win this game. We need to, with the early kickoff, we need to put pressure on Arsenal, who's, who've got an easy game on paper at three o'clock yeah. after we play. So I think the impetus needs to be on us, um, you know, starting strong, winning the game and obviously hoping, hopefully just catching them with a hangover from the cup final rather than a wounded animal mentality. And I, I, I suspect it's going to be the hangover, to be honest, just because... They've, they've not been to a cup final for so long. It was their big occasion and the the come down from that is going to be uh, horrendous for them. So hopefully we can capitalise on that and not be stung by a wounded animal. Yeah, just I just remembered who was City's opponent after he got knocked out by Real Madrid last season, Dan? It was Newcastle. That's right, yeah. That was a good performance, but that was a, a very different Newcastle side, I think you, <laughs> you might have to say. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm just thinking for the way that City responded to that that mm. uh, Madrid yeah. knockout. They, they went and put five past Newcastle, so it's, uh, it might, might, right, not, yeah. might, be, yeah. might, might actually be a, a difficult game for that reason. Um, just on the, on the league table, Dan, uh, Adam mentioned it there, five points behind Arsenal now, um, level games. 13 games to go, five points. When you've, got the op- when you've got them to play as well, it's actually it's nothing, that, is it? <laughs> It's nothing, and it, it seems like a lot at the same time, really. I mean, it's just, I, I'm not really thinking about it. I, like Adam said, I'm glad that we're, we're level on games now and we know where we stand and we know we know what the task is. You know, we've got to win that Arsenal game. No two ways about it. We don't win that one. We don't win the league, I don't think. But it's, it's pointless worrying about the points difference and, and that kind of thing, really. You know, you've just, you've just got to take each game as it comes. Here, here come all the cliches, but take each game as it comes, you know, try and win every game, see where we end up. You know, if, Everyone's if the, a the cup final, is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's true. Like, and, and and if if the if the gap is still five points or or hopefully less by the time Arsenal come to the Etihad, then it's then it's game on. If that gap is bigger, um, then it's uh, it's not looking good for City. But you know, if, we've just got to keep the pressure on them. And if if they crack under pressure, great. If if not, then you know, we just have to say they'll be worthy champions. Congratulate them, and we take it on the chin. Yeah, just uh, just get on with it, don't we? Um, just looking ahead to Newcastle, Adam, um, in terms of, of their form, only one win in the last five games, uh, only scored more than once in one of the last eight games, um, but they can defend. They've got the best defence in the league by quite some considerable distance. It's eight goals. Um, they've only conceded 15 all season. Three of them were from City, though. So, I, 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 I mean, you're the stats guy. Make sense of that. <laughs> yeah, so obviously, I think 
the, like Dan alluded to, they were almost in their honeymoon period at the time we played them, and it was all gunko football. And I think that's what that type of game was what scared Guardiola into this control mentality because it was just literally a basketball game that three all draw at the earlier in the season. So I don't think we're going to see that Not type literally. of game. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was literal in the metaphorical sense. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Or a really boring <laughs> basketball game that they just both scored one one long distance throw each. Anyway, um, less Harlem Globetrotters and more Manchester City, I suppose. Um, I think I think the their recent cup run has taken a lot out of them. There's been a lot of emotion poured into it. There's, it's kind of been their priority for a while. I think that they've taken the eye off the ball in in the league campaign. From what I can see, obviously, I'm only speaking from the outside looking in, but they're certainly difficult to score against. I think. Um, we'll be okay though. I think we know how to score against them. Evidently, with the with our three pointer, um, so I think we'll be all right. But they're not. It's not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be a, a walkover. But I just hope we've caught them at the right time, which is a bit of disappointment for them after the the cup final. But they're certainly one of the strongest teams in the league, and it's not going to be our easiest uh, day at the office. Yeah, I I really wish Adam you'd said uh, less Harlem Globetrotters. Harlem Globetrotters. Globetrotters. Yes. Yeah, because that that had been that had been the title <laughs> okay. of the show, but you didn't say it. Well, so there we you're, go. You're you're the magician <laughs> with the data audio. I'll just put the voice in here. It's going to be less Harlem Globetrotters and more Harlem Globetrotters. No, you see, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to I'm oh, going to no. say in, in this case I'm going to say well, what you could have said actually is less Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> more Harlem Globetrotters, and then it looks like I've said it. So there we oh, go. Well, <laughs> furious. Yeah. Uh, well, before we get stuck in that infinite feedback loop, um, <laughs> Dan, let's look at City for uh, for the Newcastle game because I'm wondering, like, we've talked a lot already about Foden and, and Grealish and Mares and, and kind of the front end of the pitch. Um, I'm wondering how much of the back end of the pitch will be will be um, important because Stones and Laporte are the players that really help City play through the lines. Uh, we don't know about Stones' fitness. Um, Laporte may be available. He was, I, I think, he was back in training ahead of the Bristol game, but only just. Yeah. Um, like, it, it's kind of key that I, I guess one of them plays in many respects, just to get City like the most controlled possession from the back. Really, yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be Diaz on one other, isn't it? Because he's been absolutely colossal since coming back. He's probably his best form since his first season at the club, and and it's really made a difference back there. And I'm sensing a, a bit of discontent among the fan base towards a. Kanji, um, which I think is a bit unfair. You know, I don't think he's our most talented uh, centre back, but I think he's been very consistent and and always available since joining, and, and has, has overall done done a good job. If it com- comes down to it, I'll, I'll prefer Laporte or Stones ahead of him, and I think it's probably too soon for Stones to come mm. in. You know, we we won't know whether we. he's actually fit yet, but even if he is fit, I'd be surprised if he was thrown straight back in. So, um, you know, there's a bit of. Rumours flying around about the Port's future this week as well, but um, I would like him to come in. I think he really helps with the uh, the playing out from the back and passing through the lines and that kind of thing. Um, he's a bit better at that than Akanji and offers a bit more balance um, in defence. So that would be my preference, uh, Diaz and Laporte. Yeah, and if Adam, if he goes with that, um, do you then when you look at the fullback situation, do you pick Ake or Bernardo? Uh, Ake or Bernardo is a question for left fullback. Is a ridiculous <laughs> one. I accept. Uh, no. <laughs> but like, do you pick do you pick Bernardo to move into midfield, or do you pick Ake because his form's been mm. so good and he's so good defensively? And then at yeah. the right, right back, you talked about some Maximan. Uh, you kind of probably want Walker and his pace there, but Lewis has been fantastic as well. Yeah, and Walker seemed petrified of Saint Maximan in the first game as well. So he's either gonna 
that's going to be lingering in his mind and he's going to want to avenge that performance or it's lingering in his mind and he's thinking, oh God, I've got to deal with St. Maximilian. I think he'd relish <laughs> the challenge. I think it'll be Walker at right back and then because we're at home, Ake at left back. I think he prefers Bernardo at left back away from home. Obviously he chucked him in against Arsenal. Um, to Again, I've said control about, you'll have to ban me or get a swear jar for me saying the word control. But um, I think he'd want to control the game more away from home. Whereas at, at home, it kind of ha happens more naturally anyway. So I think it's going to be Ake and uh, Walker as the uh, left and right backs. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Right, so let's get a Newcastle view of the game now. I've been speaking to Alex Hurst from the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. I started by asking about the mood after Sunday's defeat in the League Cup final. It's it's mixed. Um, so there's a lot of us who are very, very disappointed with Sunday. Um, I thought Newcastle didn't do themselves justice. I thought, I thought Man United didn't really have to turn up to win the game, which is probably the most disappointing thing. And then there's kind of the other half of the fan base, which is just kind of like really appreciative of the journey we've been on over the last 18 months and... I get, I get that conversation, but uh, yeah, I think it, it's kind of mixed. And it was mixed walking away from Wembley. Some people were still quite upbeat, and there were some of us who are just really, really disappointed with how how it went as a game. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me in many ways uh, of... Uh, I mean, I, I know City didn't get to the final that year, but it, it reminds me very much of uh, when Manchester United knocked City out of the uh, the League Cup semi-finals in 2009-10, uh, where like, it, it was within touching distance. It felt like something was was about to be achieved. And I, I, I kind of get that same sense from Newcastle right now. It feels like you're on the cusp of something, but it's just not quite arrived yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense, and, and I think that would be a good comparison. Um, it's uh, it, it's a really weird season for Newcastle because I think if we miss out on the top four, which now looks at least somewhat likely compared to being in the top four for a long time, it's gone from Champions League and winning a cup to potentially Europa League or Europa Conference. And whilst I think at the start of the season, everyone would have taken Europa League or Europa Conference uh, in a cup final, is a great season. It doesn't feel like that when you're in it and you fall a bit short. So definitely mixed feelings. Yeah. Um, just looking at the uh, at the top of the table then right now, um, because, I mean, you are just outside the top four, four points behind Spurs, but uh, two games in hand there. How are you feeling about it all? Like, I'm getting the sense that that you've been a little bit disappointed with the form lately. Yeah, and, and the the World Cup has not been our friend. You know, we were the, probably the form team in the Premier League, probably apart from Arsenal leading up to that World Cup break. And we all thought it would do us a massive favour because we had so few players at the World Cup compared to the likes of you guys and, uh, and other top teams. And, you know, we beat Leicester on Boxing Day to go second. And ever and ever since then, we've just not... It's not that we haven't been getting the results because we haven't we, we haven't been playing well. Uh, we haven't been playing as well as we had. We haven't been defending as well. Uh, and although it's still only two defeats all season, both against the same opposition in Liverpool... Um, you know, Spurs look like they're on a bit of an upward uh, trajectory, uh, whereas we look like we're going to have to like at least rediscover some of the old form before the World Cup to have any chance of top four. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting about uh, just kind of that the, the form and the, the feeling around that sort of thing because I think if you, if you go back to the the three old draw that we played out in at St James's Park earlier in the season. Like I think, I think a lot of City fans came away from that game thinking Newcastle are going to cause a lot of teams problems this season. So, what like what's what's been the journey since then? 
yeah, and that that City game is it, Newcastle fans love that game as well. And and th- although after that game, um, Callum Wilson got injured in that game, uh, he went off at three one actually, which which helped Man City a lot. Even though it was a good comeback from Man City, um, and, and and we drew a few games after that, and people were were wondering about whether it was going to be one of those seasons where we struggled to win games, but we had a good defense, and it would be kind of like between seventh and tenth place. But Newcastle then won six Premier League games in a row, and 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 won uh, you know quite like eight out of eleven or something like that. And up until the World Cup, um, we were one of the best teams in the league, and we weren't just beating teams; we were beating them incredibly comfortably. You know, Newcastle, I think, I think still have the best defensive record in the Premier League. Um, and it's, it is, it's by, th- by quite some distance as well. Um, only 15 goals against. The next best is uh, is Arsenal, 23 against. Yeah, and, and that's what it was built on. But it wasn't even a case of, you know, Nick Pope's been brilliant and he'll be back on Saturday, but he's been brilliant. But it wasn't even like Nick Pope was making saves in a lot of games. The defence was that good. We weren't not just conceding goals, we weren't conceding shots or chances. So, so that happened, and that got us to the World Cup, and and, and ever since then, you know, there's 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 been there, there has been a slight distraction of the League Cup, and Eddie Howe mentioned that in his post match press press conference on Sunday that he didn't want it to turn into a distra- uh, distraction, the cup run in the final, but it but it did, and then, you know, in uh, in January we had three cup ties or four cup ties, and it's just really harmed the momentum, and uh, we've stopped creating as many chances. Bruno Gomes has been missing for three games. So Newcastle really need to kind of find that kind of performance that we put in against Man City back in sunny August uh, this weekend, if possible. That would be great. Yeah, it feels a long time ago now, doesn't it? Because I think <laughs> it, going into going coming out of that game as well, I, I think a lot of City fans thought City would be a lot more consistent over the season than they have been. Um, it's it, it, it's interesting about uh, kind of the, the players available as well because uh, Bruno was a, 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 a big player for you in the first half of the season. Um, he's had an injury, has he? Has, has he not been available? No, he got he got a ridiculous red card, the first of his career, uh, against Southampton in the League Cup semi final when the game, when the tie was already won. Uh, incredibly frustrating for him to miss out uh, since then, and now he might be out on Saturday with an injury now, uh, which would be a huge blow to us. Really, Pro- probably any chance of, of of at least getting a win on Saturday it goes with him. We, ha- we haven't won without Bruno this season in the Premier League, which tells you his importance to us. Yeah, uh, I mean the other player that uh, will be giving City fans nightmares off the back of that three-all draw is still uh, Alan St. Maximan. Um, I mean, if, if you are going to get a result at the Etihad this weekend, um, I, will he be crucial to it? You know what, I imagine so, but it's a real strange one. And, and Man City fans who don't watch or follow Newcastle as closely probably be shocked to hear that he's had a really bad season uh, after that City game because he was brilliant. Uh, and, and Newcastle have put in two performances under Eddie Howe at home, um, which are really kind of template performances. There was Arsenal at home at the back end of last season, which cost them the Champions League when we really beat them quite badly. It was only 2-0, but it could have been a lot more in their biggest game of the season. And then at your place, it was a great game and, and Man City had chances, but Newcastle had chances as well. It could have finished more than 3-3. And Alisson Maximum was crucial to both of those performances. He hasn't been in the team since then, which is crazy to think about. First of all, he got injured, uh, and then he just hasn't been... The team have been doing so well, he hasn't been able to get back into the team. And when he has come back into the team, you've seen this drop-off in form. Um, One of the issues is, compared to when we played that game against City, I think, is um, Matt Target got injured, Dan Byrne came in at left-back, and Dan Byrne has been part of this unbelievable defence. But the problem... There is Newcastle playing three centre-backs in a back four. And Dan Byrne just doesn't support Alisson Maximan at all. 
in an attacking sense. So it's way easier for other teams to close him down, knowing there's not an overlapping fullback behind him. And I think a lot of Newcastle fans are now thinking we need to kind of sacrifice to this a little bit of this defensive solidity to try and support players like Sir Maximan. Because he on his day, like that day against Man City was a good day for him. He does things to Premier League defences few few players in the league can do. Yeah, I think uh, you're you're not going to get much sympathy though from City fans uh, about centre halves having to play at fullback. That's uh, <laughs> that, that, that's something that City fans know quite well. Um, who who's playing well at the moment? Who's uh, who's likely to cause City problems? Oh, good question. Not <laughs> there's not many playing well. Um, you know, defensively, Sven Botman, one of the signings of the season. You know, Newcastle for Newcastle to pick up Pope and Botman for about forty million between them is just absurd. It's a real kind of. Uh, you know, negative for other Premier League clubs that those two players were picked up for so little money because they're both brilliant, brilliant footballers. Obviously, Botman is still only 22. Uh, he's got a massive career ahead of him in the game and he, he's not really put a, a foot wrong recently. So defensively, he he's still right up there. He's a brilliant player. Uh, such as Man City's level and such as his level, I'm surprised that they win in from. Uh, in, a, in an attacking sense, there's not, there's not a lot to pick from really. I mean, if Bruno plays, he, he'd be crucial. Uh, and then, you know, Miguel Almiron has 10 Premier League goals this season, which is obscene for him, but he's gone really quiet the last few games. Like I said, some Maximan struggled. I think against Manchester City, there is a school of thought that because you guys attack so well and attack so much, you might you might not do what other Premier League teams do and worry about what we've got, which we haven't had an answer for. So Bournemouth, Crystal Palace, Leeds, teams we've really struggled to break down. Uh, have kind of worked Newcastle out a little bit, got 11 men behind the ball, and Newcastle aren't yet at the level as a team or have the squad depth or the creativity to prevent that. Whereas against better teams, we tend to create a lot more chances, and, and Almiron and St Maximan in particular thrive on the space left from other teams' attacks. We saw that against Liverpool, even though we lost that game 2-0 and we're down to 10 men. I think we actually uh, edged the XG in that game and... Uh, you know, created five or six goal-scoring chances with 10 men. And actually on the day, Alisson was the best player on the pitch. So that's kind of what we're hoping for, that those two wide men may, may get a bit of joy. There's also Anthony Gordon, who hasn't had loads of chances since he came in, and he raised some eyebrows about the, the transfer fee. But from the limited amount we've seen him, he does look like a really, really good footballer. We're very excited for him in the future. Yeah. Um, how do you think Eddie Howe's going to approach this game? Because uh, the, the game last season was a bit of an interesting one in that, uh, I mean, he did something that I wasn't expecting. He said, let's go and play City at their own game, see where we're at. And it ultimately got Newcastle a bit of a hiding. And it was one of those games where had he approached it in a in, in a much more pragmatic way, perhaps it, it might have been a game where um, he didn't see it as a free hit and he might, you might have got something from it in a, in a different sense. Um you're a different team than that now. So, how do you think he'll go about it this season? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's one. It's a really interesting question when we're asking ourselves because I think immediately after that five nil defeat was that Arsenal game that I referenced, and people thought, well, surely he won't make the same mistake again. And he did. He was bold. He did the exact same to Arsenal, and it paid off. And it will never look back since. And and with Newcastle's recent bad form you'd think, is it the time for him to do a formation change, maybe go three centre-backs and wing-backs? Um, and I suppose that one of the most disappointing thing about Sunday wasn't just the results, it was the fact that we didn't do that. It was the fact that even though we probably had the better of the, the, the opening half an hour until the first goal, even though there was nothing in the game, we didn't see that kind of caution to the wins. We're just going to press these guys. We're going to create chances. They're going to create chances and someone's going to win. So I, I really hope, I'm, I'm going to the game. 
I'd much rather lose 5-0 again, I know that might sound strange, and have the same approach and give yourself a chance of victory than go and do a very un-Eddie Howe, Newcastle United thing of, of be you know, get men behind the ball, um, be very tight, uh, you know, have kind of 20% possession because that's what the old Newcastle used to do and it was no fun and I kind of hope we're beyond that. So whenever the chips have been down from how in the past, he always comes out swinging. So I, I think we'll see a similar approach to what we saw at the at the Etihad last season. Yeah, well, uh, I'm afraid, Alex, it's money where your mouth is time though now because we've got the charity bet coming up uh, a bit later on and uh, when we have guests on, I like to give mine over to the guests. So uh, over <laughs> to you, Walter, what's your score prediction for the game? I'll go 2-2. Two, two. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Alex Hurst from True Faith. Um, we're going to get the charity bet predictions now. The total on the charity bet is £645 for this season so far. It's all helping the Man City Fans Food Bank support group who are collecting for Manchester Central Food Bank. They'll be outside the Etihad early on Saturday, so please do go and see them with a donation ahead of the game. They'll be under the bridge by Asda between 10 o'clock and midday. Uh, William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on the game. So uh, we've heard already from Alex that his prediction is 2-2 for the, uh, for the game on Saturday. Today, that's 18 to 1 and 180 pounds if he's right. Uh, Dan, what are you having for this one? I'm going to go 2 1 City. 2 1 City is 8 to 1 and 80 pounds. Adam, over to you. I'm going for 2 0 Edison to get his. Premier League clean sheet record finally that has evaded him for six games. <laughs> yeah, if it uh, if it happens and it's two 0 six to one and uh, sixty quid for the kitty if you are right. Uh, remember, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, we'll finish now with some audience questions. Get them in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website as well. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com, fill out the form there. We'll get your email um, and we'll uh, we'll get it on one of the future shows. We start with the emails and uh, Andy Stafford, who says, given the release of the Etihad expansion plans this week, it appears that the expanded stand will be more akin to stands like the yellow wall at Borussia Dortmund and what Spurs have done behind one of the goals at their new stadium, rather than just adding another tier. I like this idea, but given this design, though, I think the club will need to review where fans sit, as I feel we would need more vocal support in a redesigned stand like this. Personally, I'd put the full away fan allocation in the south stand third tier and then have all the City fans behind both goals closer to the pitch. This would also join up the bottom corners where the east stand and Colin Bell stand meet the south stand. I think it would improve the atmosphere and have more joined up singing if the entire lower stadium bowl was City fans all the way round. Would be interested to hear some thoughts on this. Um, Unfortunately, we know from uh, the police and from City, Dan, that uh, the away fans can't really be moved at the Etihad it's not a, it's not um, a, an easy fix to be able to just put the away fans somewhere else uh, because it is something that City have looked at in the past um, but in terms of, of getting the most vocal support in in an end um, what do you reckon to that? Yeah it'd be great to just tuck the away fans up in the gods wouldn't it and put a big perspex shield in front of them to stop them throwing stuff and spitting and generally being dickheads but yeah it doesn't seem like <laughs> it's uh, it's possible unfortunately yeah I mean um it's not, I'm not normally one to s- suggest that we should uh, copy our, our rivals, but it would be um, good if City could put some kind of measure in place to do something similar to what Arsenal and, and I think United have done at Old Trafford and have like a dedicated atmosphere section. Um, maybe it shouldn't even be in the South Standards. I sometimes think having the away fans in such close proximity to the most sort of atmospheric area of the ground is a bit distracting. You know, people spend a lot of time shouting abuse at the away fans putting the Vs up and all that kind of thing. And you, you, you kind of think sometimes maybe it'd be better if uh, those people uh, were, were sort of more focused on generating a good atmosphere. And, you know, 
I've only been watching the games on telly recently, but you know the the away support has, has sounded really good on the on the telly the last couple of games. And Guardiola said in the past that he loves the mm. away support uh, that City have, and he's been mm. very sending the players over to thank them after after the recent games and stuff. And we just got to find a way to channel that energy, I think, and bring it to the Etihad and get all those lads who have a great time singing songs, uh, lads and lasses, should I say, going to away games, get them get them doing that at the Etihad as well. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it was notable, uh, especially against um, Bristol City, Adam. Uh, what the what the away support was like, but I mean, you could hear them on the TV against Bournemouth as well. Um, and, and I guess it is kind of kind of tapping that into the Etihad. The, the, the issue with the away fans being in the higher tier, with I mean, we, we had we had the stories recently of, of Liverpool and Arsenal fans throwing stuff down onto the City mm. fans. That's that's kind of the the danger there, isn't it? Yeah, and I think Liverpool have just had their allocation cut for the upcoming league game because of that as well. Uh, so it's going to pose problems, but I think we're we're putting a big kind of net up to try and catch these kind of objects being thrown and stuff. So I like the idea of just putting them all in the top tier, like it happens at Newcastle for the away teams, and having us a, a city kind of bowl around the perimeter of the pitch and getting the uh, kind of the, the songs going that way un, uninterrupted by a break of, of away fans. So I, I like that idea, um, yeah. and it's still in keeping with keeping the away fans in the south stand end of the stadium because we know about the logistics that the police and the club can't overcome getting the, getting them anywhere else. Yeah. Final question for this week, and I absolutely love this one. So please do send more of these sorts of uh, sorts of questions in. I'll always make time to squeeze these in. Uh, Jackson McDonald on Twitter has been in touch to say, uh, if you were to be making a city version of Mount Rushmore somewhere outside the Etihad, which four city-related faces would you have carved into it? Um, I, I mean, yeah, okay, Adam, you say easy. Over to you then. Let's let's have so, your names. I'd go for. I'd like to immortalise the four permanent managers that we had in the ninety six ninety seven season, uh, just because it's always there. It'll be a reminder of what we came from. So I'd have Frank Clark, Phil Neal, Steve Coppel, and Alan Ball all looking down as we make our way into the Etihad. I just think that would be glorious. And no matter how bad a defeat uh, that may ensue as we have we at the stadium as we're walking out, I'll look up at Mount Rushmore there on on Alan Chorin Way. And just think, <laughs> at least they're not in charge, and everything can will I, be right with the world. Can I can I clarify something here? Because I can't remember now. Was Phil Neal a permanent appointment? I always thought he was a caretaker. Well, he played so technically. He played. He, he managed ten games during that season. Frank Clark twenty four, Steve Coppel six, and Alan Ball three. Even Asa Hartford had a caretaker role in that in that um, season, but he he's kind of allowed because he's kind of more city than the others. So uh, they're the four that I went for. Fair enough. Um, I mean, I, that I mean, I that wasn't the angle I was going for. I, I, I was thinking, like when I when I was thinking of this question, I was like, God, would would I would I drop Aguero out or Company yeah. or Silver or Torre? Or like, like yeah. which which of those players wouldn't make it into the into the iconic four? Because you probably have to yeah. have Colin Bell in there, and yeah. really, like, it's really it's really hard. And then you've just gone for the for the ninety seven managers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, please please tell me you went the way I did. <laughs> Well, my iconic four is Frank Sidebottom, Peter Swales, Curly Watson, Tits Out Jackie. So I don't know if I've got the got the right way there. But um, <laughs> no, I, I do have a serious answer, actually, because I, I did a little bit of research into this. So, so Mount Rushmore is George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, the four American presidents. And they represent the, the birth, the growth, the development and the preservation of the country, right? Oh, so right. Ah. the... the, the the person, the person that should definitely, in that vein, be on City's Mount Rushmore for me is Anna Connell, the woman who founded the club as, as St. Yeah. Mark's way back when. And then I'm kind of torn on the other ones. So for the for the 
growth of the club. You could say Tom Bailey, who won the uh, first trophy in the club's history, the 1904 FA Cup. Um, you could also say Joe Mercer, who obviously presided over the, the very famous um, and successful period in the, in the 1960s. Um, and then for for development, I was thinking Roberto Mancini. You know, yeah. he brought the good times back. He heralded in the new era and preservation. It's got to be Pep Guardiola, hasn't it, really? So, yeah, um, you know, that's that's well, my serious answer to the question. Well, my, my kind of rebuttal to the possibility of Guardiola, and like, don't get me wrong, Guardiola has done wonderful things for this football club and is obviously going, when he leaves, he's going to be an iconic manager and a legend. However, were any of the presidents that were carved into Mount Rushmore, Rushmore presidents at the time of its carving? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's, that's true. The, yeah. that, that, that's the issue I've got there. I mean, they, they otherwise, like, it's kind of like every time he leaves the Etihad Stadium and he sees it on his journey home, it's kind of like a bit, oh, yeah, there, there we go. I've got to live up to that now, have I? Yeah. What was that word that you used to describe Foden as again? <laughs> Flabbergastic. <laughs> Flabbergastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, well, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to my guests for this one, Adam Carter. I love Phil Foden. <laughs> and Dan Burke <laughs> always a pleasure uh, I thought I thought Dan for a second you might have gone Flamagastuk but you know here we are <laughs> can't, can't have everything can we uh, stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show that is a City Heaven City Hell Bayern Munich edition so go and have a listen to that now uh, it's available now for all of our Patreon backers I'll be back next week so I'll see you then That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. Daniel Van Boyden was the centre-back in that game, I think, so... (laughs) You know, uh, City legend. Of- yeah, I was going to ask about Van Boyten because, uh, like, we we, Love the uh, guy. we absolutely love him, and he played four games. <laughs> he took on like almost mythical quality, didn't he? After he after he came on loans, was played like four games, was really good, got injured, and then it was like the clamour to get him back for years was like he was the answer to our prayers, basically. He, he never came back; it just never happened. It's like the second coming of Jesus or something. Yeah. As a Byron fan, I I miss him dearly. He was fantastic for us. Uh, he was, I mean, two meters tall, what, 100 kilo in weight. Like, of course, he's a bit clumsy and whatnot, but you kind of need someone that big. Uh, like, you wouldn't see Van Bouten playing in a, in a top-tier team nowadays, would you? Uh, and I kind of appreciate that about guy. He's like an old-school center back that was sort of caught between the transition of the post-Guardiola tiki-taka evolution game and the pre-Guardiola tiki-taka where... His character and his sort of, you know, profile was much, much necessary sometimes. Oh, I don't know. Rolls Royce of a defender from my, from my, from those four, those four games he played. Apart from being sent off at Leeds, fantastic yeah, man, yeah, fantastic player. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>